but as you know, about two weeks ago, we came back, uh, the youth group did, from, from YC19, and uh, we had a wonderful time out in Colorado and said, again, thank you for your prayers and your support uh, for that. That was an awesome trip. And, and one of the things that I really loved and was reminded of was how much I really love corporate worship services. Um, I, there's just something tremendously powerful in the teaching of God's word and in the, in the worship of his name through music and through singing and gathering all believers in, in one location. And I know the students really enjoyed that too. And especially a couple of them shared that last week here during the service. But as much as I love those times, gang, as much as I loved organized worship, Emmaus Road, I'm afraid that we often reduce the idea of worship down to gatherings like this one. You know what I'm talking about? I'm afraid our definition, guys, is limited to, to a weekend service or, or a midweek Bible study or a week-long conference or a week-long missions trip. Emmaus Road, as important as those activities are, we can't confuse our worship activity with our worship identity. Gang, worship is not primarily our activity. Worship is first and foremost our identity as human beings. You see, human beings, as human beings, we were created by God to be worshipers. You, you can't divide people into two groups. Like, there are some over here who worship, and there are some over here who don't worship. Every person, regardless of religious confession, has worshipped their way through every day of their life. Have you ever thought about your day's activities like that before? Gang, I'm convinced, and I would even argue, that everything that you say... And everything that you do is an act of worship. Steve Parks once wrote the following. The quote's up there on the screen. It says, as human beings, we've been made by a God for that God. And he's put us on this earth to reflect his glory, and we are to live for God. All of that, of course, was frustrated in the fall, and now that drive that human beings have to worship God is distorted, and we place it on other things. That's why there's so many different religions in the world. That's why people live for their passions. We are creatures made to worship. The question is, and this is huge, the question is, who or what are we worshiping? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, so let's pray, and then we're going to read Romans 12, just the first two verses, and hopefully not just be informed this morning by the text, but be transformed by the Spirit's power and presence uh, in this place. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you um, for this place. Lord, I thank you for this, this family, this faith family that is gathered here today. Lord, we, we come with, with a lot of, of baggage. We come with a lot of questions. We come with, with doubt and confusion and questions, hurts, pains, struggles. I mean, if we were just start to, to list off all the things that we drug in here, dragged in here today, like it would just go on and on and on. And so, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that as we hear the wonderful power of the gospel, that we would take all of that stuff and, and nail it to the cross exactly where it needs to be and leave it there. Lord, we thank you for time that we can come and look at your word. So teach us, Holy Spirit. That's our prayer. We pray this all. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Romans uh, 12, verses 1 through 2, 
reading in Jesus' name. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one there right in front of you. Otherwise, the verses will be there on the screen. Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12 starts out this way, if you caught it. It says, I appeal to you, therefore. And that's huge for us, gang, because here's why. Whenever you come across the word therefore, here's what you should always do. Whenever you come across the word therefore in scripture, you should ask the following question. What is it there for? <laughs> Makes sense, right? Yeah. You see, we're about to switch gears here from everything the Apostle Paul has been writing about for the first 11 chapters. If you recall, chapters 1 through 3 really deal with mankind's sin, that we've all fallen short of the, of the standard of perfection that God requires as laid out in his law. Paul teaches here in Romans that no one's exempt from that list, that, that we're not just sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. That's who we are. That's our very nature. But then at the end of chapter 3 through chapter 8, we learn that there's no amount of sin that God's grace cannot forgive. Amen? That, that, like the old hymn says, and I, I love this, it says, this, this one for me is right up there. It says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It's awesome. It's in this section that we learn that we're forgiven of our sin by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that God alone gets the glory. And then, in chapters 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul puts on display the mercy and the grace of God, and over and over and over again, we are forced to ask and to answer the following question. Can the faithfulness of God be trusted even when God's chosen people are not faithful? And as Pastor Brandon unpacked for us last week, the answer is a resounding guess that God's word does not fail, that he has and he always will be faithful even though mankind is continually unfaithful. And so again, verse one reads, I appeal to you therefore. In other words, he's saying in light of all of that, in light of everything you've been confronted with already in my letter, because of all of that, it should change everything about you. And for the remainder of this letter, the apostle Paul is going to lay out the implications of the gospel for everyday life. So that's what the therefore is there for. I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God. Now, the mercies of God, in my opinion, is the summation of, of Romans 1 through 11. It's Paul's summation of Romans 1 through 11. And I think there's a couple reasons why he writes it like this. And here's the first. Because if the forgiveness of our sin and the crediting of his righteousness is, in fact, a gift given to us, nothing that we earn, then the only reason is because of the mercy of God. Uh, stretch back, if you have your own Bibles, the, uh, the Romans 11, verse 32. Actually, I think I have it up on the screen too. Because there we read this. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. He's teaching here that all have sinned and all have for fallen short of the perfection that God requires. But God in his kindness has not given us what our sin deserves. That's amazing. But not only that, did you notice that Romans 12.1 doesn't read, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercy of God. 
No, it reads, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. So I don't think the Apostle Paul is only referring to the mercy of God towards us in our salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. The greatest demonstration in the mercy of God is no doubt found in Jesus. But Paul uses the plural here in Romans 12.1, doesn't he? Like there's, there's bunches of mercies out there for us to understand and to appreciate and to absorb. And he encourages us to pay attention to that. And I don't know about you, but for me, I so often forget about the mercies of God in my life. Gang, I'm convinced that as sinful human beings, and we all are, we live on this continuum between gratitude over here and expectancy over here. Do you know what I'm talking about? And most everything in us and most everything around us pushes us to this entitlement over here that every single day. So the Apostle Paul is teaching us, all right, if you're going to live out the therefore, you don't start with you. You start with the mercies of God. That's where you start. Have you ever had one of those days? Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've had four this week? Yeah. We're, we're, we're praying for you, Luke. Um, we all have them from time to time. And this week I had one of those days. Um, Matt knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, he was God's grace and gift to me this week as a sounding board of this day. And honestly, I want to be grateful every day of my life. I do. I want to wake up and I want to say, good morning, God. But some mornings I wake up and I say, good God morning, right? You know what I'm, (laughs) it's true. We all have that. And on Wednesday, I was working on my sermon for today and and I was reading and rereading Romans 12. And I decided I wanted to preach on just verses one through two. And I was just feeling the flow and I was just jotting down the thoughts that the Holy Spirit was giving me. And then I got a phone call in the middle of all this. Now, I normally turn off everything when I prep, but I was expecting this call uh, from a certain friend, and I wanted to make sure I actually picked up the call when he called. And do you ever get a call that you, you thought the call was going to go in a certain way, but it went in a completely different direction that you were not expecting? Yeah, that was this call. Um, see, a couple years ago, I lent a fair amount of money to a, a good friend of mine. And as you can imagine, um, we set a time to actually pay me back and how to pay me back and without interest. I didn't charge him interest, but just you got to pay me back in a certain amount of time. And, and um, as you can imagine, that lingered on for some time and just went on and on. And every time we talked, there was another reason why he couldn't pay me back in full and pay up that month. And, but this time I was assured, I was assured that it was going to be different because I knew, I knew this family well. And um, I knew that his grandmother had passed away and his grandmother was a really wealthy woman. And they all received an inheritance, the kids and the grandkids. And I'm really good friends with the other cousins, the other grandkids of this one lady who passed. And so I actually knew how much money they all got in the inheritance. And so I was like, I'm going to get the money back. It's time. It's going to come back. Wrong. Didn't come back. And gang, I was mad. I was ticked off. And and, and you need to pray for me because I found out this week that my heart isn't as sanctified as I'd like to think it is. Because you see, the scriptures teach that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know that one? And that day I found out that I must still have a potty heart. Um, (laughs) Because some of the words that flowed out on that call, I'm embarrassed to admit, uh, but I hung up on, on him in, in just a fit of rage. And here's why I was so mad. He spent the inheritance money on a new motorcycle instead of paying me back. 
And so I started just swearing profusely, and I just hung up the phone. And I hope this isn't too much of a pastoral confession to you. I mean, this, this happened in my life. And the sad thing is, not so much that it happened, because we're all sinners, and I'm not justifying what I did. It was wrong. I'm not justifying my actions, but our sin is just going to come out swinging from time to time this side of heaven, is it not? But what's really sad and disappointing, at least it is to me, is when it happened. Because all this was going down, this call interrupted me during a portion of my sermon prep when I was searching for a certain list to share with all of you guys. I, I kid you not, this actually happened. In my notes, I had just written down before the call came, Tell them about your gratitude list. You see, I was planning to tell all of you entitled, uh, ungrateful, sinful parishioners of this gratitude list that I started writing on my sabbatical before I came here in July. And here's what the gratitude list is, in case you're wondering. As the old hymn puts it, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. And so that's what I started to do a couple months ago. And, and since I turned 40 back on May 3rd, uh, I thought that was a good number to start with. And so I encourage you, if you don't have a list like this, come up with a list like this. Jot down just one thing that you're grateful for, for every year of your life. It doesn't have to happen in that year of your life, just one thing for every year you've been alive. And it's amazing what a list like that will actually do to help you refocus on what's actually important, namely the mercies of God. And so here's my list, okay? Now, some of you might get offended by my list, but that's okay. It's my list. Um, and you're in church, so you got to forgive me, okay? So here, here's, here, I just want to list them out. Number one, my salvation. That's obvious. Number two, the times when I get to witness faith being birthed in someone right in front of me. Those times are awesome. Number three, my parents. Uh, to know Thor and Lil is to love them. Some of you met them last week. And yes, my dad's name is Thor. You didn't hear me wrong. Um, number four, my brothers and their wives, who are some of my best friends. Number uh, five, my nieces and nephews, who I get to spoil rotten from time to time because I don't have any kids of my own. Number six, wealth, globally speaking. Number seven, religious freedom. Number eight, clean drinking water. Number nine, crisp fall days where I get to wear a hoodie. I can't wait for summer to be over. Who's with me on that one? Yeah, I see some hands. All right. Um, number 10, the beach, or as we call it back in Jersey, the, the shore, okay? Uh, number 11, some of you might get offended, but oh well, good bourbon, okay? Don't get wigged out by that. In moderation, it is God's gift to us. It, it really is. Number 12, that I'm a New Yorker. Um, there's no greater city in the world, in my opinion. And, and this kind of is connected. Number 13, the New York Yankees. Don't look at me like that. You wish you had our championships. You do. You really do. Number 14, surf casting for trophy-sized fish. Number 15, my seminary education, specifically Professor Brad Sankson, who taught me to love the overarching story of the scriptures. Number 16, my friends Jason, Brittany, Roger, and Jen. You don't know them, but that's okay. It's my list. They're my friends. Number 17, the Finer Things Club. That's an inside joke. You don't get it. Come and ask me later. Uh, number 18, the chance to be a Bible instructor at Hillcrest Lutheran Academy, my dream job at the time. Number 19, being an American. Can you still say that today? I, I, I don't care. I am. I am so glad to be an American. Uh, number 20, uh, Dr. Timothy Istabo, who's my pastor and the first one outside my family to encourage me to become a pastor. Number 21, Keith Waldridge, the first person to let me lead a Bible study, which really ignited a passion in me to teach God's word. Number 22, Taco Tuesday. I'm just going to let that sit right there. <laughs> Number 23, buffalo chicken pizza from Saviano's out in Long Island and Joe's Stromboli's back in Jersey. You're all hungry now and just wishing for lunch. It's going to come soon. Don't worry. 
Number 24, Rob Byrne and Tim White, the elders of my former church, whose friendship meant the world to me and still does. Number 25, the chance to direct a youth camp every summer at Tuscarora Inn and Conference Center back in, uh, in, in Mount Bethel, Pennsylvania. It's the very camp where I came to faith when I was 16 years old. Number 26, the chance to work on staff here at Emmaus Road with friends who, who share a common vision. Number 27, for the leadership and the people of Hope Community Church back in New York who took a chance on this rookie pastor. They didn't know what they were getting into when they hired me. Uh, number 28, the gift of preaching and teaching. Number 29, the calling to, to, to pastor churches like this one and actually get paid to do it. Number 30, modern medicine that's kept me healthy for 40 years and my brother uh, Kevin alive as he battles stage four cancer. Number 31, my intellectual mentors and theological soulmates. Uh, number 32, traveling to some of the most beautiful places on the face of this earth. Number 33, Shark Week. Any Shark Week fans? Yeah, I love, I, I, is that weird to say? I love sharks, man. I really, really love sharks. I love me some Shark Week. I'm actually watching the reruns. Uh, it happened two weeks ago. Number 34, for a community of friends who encourage me daily and also love me enough to call me out when that's needed. Uh, number 35, Olga Reby. You don't know her, but she's a little old lady at Hillside Church back in Jersey where my dad was serving, where I grew up. That's my home church. And she treated me like her own grandson when my last grandparent died. Uh, number 36, South Old New York. It's a little piece of heaven here on earth. Number 37, for my Christian heritage that reaches back really far into my family tree. Number 38, for organizations like 1517 and Christ Hold Fast, who encourage me in the word of God daily. Number 39, for the accessibility of God's word. You can carry a Bible on your cell phone now. How amazing is that, right? And number 40, for God's grace and mercy, just perfectly uh, expressed and clearly expressed in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you, what, what, after I hung up the phone and I spewed out all those obscenities, because I wasn't getting back what was owed to me. I started reading the list of the mercies of God, this gratitude list, and all of a sudden my anger, because of this news, just started to fade away. My perspective changed. Because here's the thing, do you know what God owes me on that list? Not a single thing. Especially after that embarrassing display on the phone with my friend. God owes me nothing. None of that is because I'm a good person. That's horrible theology. You see, what the Apostle Paul is going to say here in Romans 12 is, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What he's teaching here is that right theology leads to right orthopraxy. That's a big word that just simply means practice. In other words, right thoughts about God leads to a right response, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in the eyes of God, according to verse 2. So he says in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, I'd really love to get into the Greek nuances here, but I don't have the time for that, and some of you probably could care less. But let me just say this. It's crazy, because in four times, in just two verses, in verses 2 and 3, which we didn't read, the Apostle Paul uses the same Greek root word, which means you have to change your mindset. You have to change your mindset. And so what he's teaching here is that the beginning of worship, which is what we said earlier, is way more than just singing. It's way more than just Sunday gatherings. It's your very life, that the beginning of offering your life as a sacrifice of praise to God is to have your mind fixed on heavenly things and not the things of this world. Do not be conformed, he says, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern, same root word, 
what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Paul goes on to write in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself or herself, there it is again, more highly than you ought to think, but to think, same root word, with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Mansford, isn't it true that the world in which we live really acts in certain ways uh, in order to receive, that they act first in order to receive. Uh, that's just the world that, that, that we live in, that we're motivated 99% of the time to live in certain ways by either the fear of consequences or the possibility of reward. That's just the way the world works. And that's what the Apostle Paul is warning against here. Remember, for 11 chapters, he's been teaching that the way of God is totally opposite than the way that we're accustomed to, that God acts out of love and of grace and of mercy. He's saying, you've been bombarded, gang, over and over again by the mercies of God. He's saying he has lavished his love and his grace and his mercy over and over and over again on you, not because anything worthy in you, but because, truthfully, there's nothing good in you. And that's why the Apostle Paul is calling us to, to live this way as well here in Romans 12. That's the will of God for you and for me, to not act out of fear of consequences or the possibility of a reward, but to love God and to love others. Why? Because God first loved us. Because the mercies of God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10:8: freely you have received, freely give. Now, gang, think with me for a moment on this. Giving what you have really focuses on you, doesn't it? If that's our starting point, if we just give what we have, then we're bringing not only our limited resources and our limited abilities, but we're really bringing our skewed understanding and our narrow-minded methods and our sinful values into what God is calling us into. If we just give what we have, it's all dependent on us. But if we give what we've received, it's all dependent on the mercies of God. Uh, Jesus' instructions to the disciples in Matthew 10 here, it, I'm, we're not going to unpack it, but just go there this week. It's amazing. But if you know the story, the, the, the instructions he gave them were impossible, weren't they? This is the very first time that Jesus calls his disciples to go out into ministry, out into the town. It's their therefore calling. Jesus is saying, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. What an impossible task. At least two of them were. With all the technological advances and research and procedures and medicine today, a lot of sicknesses are being healed, and, and there are those who, who give of themselves in helping with all kinds of diseases. But raise the dead and drive out demons? Seriously? This is what he tells them to do. Can you, can you imagine what the disciples must have been thinking in that moment? Come, come again, Jesus? <laughs> you want us to do you want us to do what? Are, are, you, are you for real? You see, gang, Jesus called them to go and to do something that was impossible to do in their own power. Do you see that? They were being sent out without Jesus. And so they had a choice to make, to rely on themselves or what Jesus had freely given them. Now think about this. In reality, Jesus gave them a commission that required them to figure out a way to take God's power along with them even when Jesus stayed behind. And now, while we might not have been given the same exact calling as these disciples, there is some overlap, and it's found here in Matthew 10, 8. Freely you have received, 
freely give. You see, God has called them to offer their very lives as an act of worship and response to his mercies, and the same is true for us. See, gang, God's calling us to go, and he's calling us to exercise heavenly influence just like the disciples. He's calling us to go and offer our bodies as living sacrifices of worship. But some of you are probably like this. Well, Pastor Andrew, I'm no disciple. I'm, I'm new to the faith. I have so many questions that still need answering. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what to say. And if that's you here this morning, here's my response. Just like the disciples, I want you to know that he thinks that we're already prepared. He thinks that we're able. But how? Freely you've received. Freely you've received. And what have you received? You've received the mercies of God. But can get this, how have you received them? How is God giving you those amazing things? Freely with no conditions, no footnotes, no qualifications. You weren't smarter than the rest, stronger than the rest, more beautiful than the rest. You weren't deserving by any means. It was a pure gift and always will be. And Jesus says to you and he says to me, wherever I have placed you, go. And remember one thing, freely you have received, freely give. In other words, give as has been given unto you. Give generously, give abundantly. Why? Because that's how God has rained down his mercies upon you over and over and over again. Emmaus Road, I know that you will fail. I know you will fail, and so will I. There will be times when you fail to give others what they need and what you've received freely, just like I did on the phone with my friend this past week. But the good news is that God already knows that too, and he's still calling us to go. He's still calling us to enter into a partnership with him. So think deeply on what you've received from God and how you've received it, and then give it away in the same way Renew your mind. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be daily transformed by the mercies of God and never forget, freely you have received. Freely give. You think on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your abundant, abundant mercies. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. But you gave yourself away, and so you're calling us to now go and to give our lives away as well in worship and response to what you've first done for us. So empower us and encourage us every step of the way. May you go before us, above us, behind us, in us, and through us. And we give you the praise. And all God's people said, amen.